0: Night in Seattle uh, at 6 p.m. at the historic Ballard Elks Lodge. And uh, we're inviting you to join us for a uh, night of prayer, worship, prophecy. We're just believing that God is in the midst of stirring hearts and working the soil in Seattle and uh, beyond. As many of you know, in the month of May, June, July, and August, we're hosting monthly preview services in the evening. And then starting the first Sunday in September, we are officially launching Sunday morning services in Seattle. I know many of you have been praying and giving and standing with us as we're working towards this goal. So I just want to say thank you and then invite you out uh, as well tonight. Hey, a big announcement. I know we hit it in the announcement videos already, but just to put it on your radar, starting next week on Mother's Day, we are launching our fifth Sunday morning service here, and that has necessitated that we change up some of our service times to accommodate all of the new families and all of the new folks who are joining us on Sunday morning. So we're going to be going 8 a.m., 9 15 10 30 and 1 p.m. and uh, we've got some uh, invite cards that we'll be handing out in just a moment and uh, we want you to be a part of helping us build and grow this house this local church and in doing so continue to see the kingdom of God advance in powerful ways really all across this region somebody asked me they said does pursuit really need another service and here's the reality as long as there's a family that doesn't have a church to call home there's a reason for the pursuit to grow and so as God continues to send people our job is to make room jesus says if I be lifted up I will draw all people into myself and I think sometimes people pray these prayers God sends the growth and then all they do is complain about the more work that they've got to do and yes it is more work and it's more opportunities to serve and it turns out that it's gonna be a little bit of a longer Sunday but We want you to be aware of these new service times and and in doing so let's continue to gather worship praise and see god do incredible things in our midst and through our spheres of influence this morning i'm going to share with you out of the gospel of luke the gospel of luke chapter 4. luke 4 records the first public sermon that jesus ever gives it wasn't a very long sermon in fact it probably took under 30 seconds He quoted the book of Isaiah, two whole verses, and then sat down. But the result of the communication of Christ sent the entire city into an uproar. And there's some keys, some principles that are hidden in Luke 4 that I think we can apply to our lives today that also help give us some prophetic context for what we're being invited into in this season. And in doing so... I want to encourage you from the word of God this morning. Starting in Luke 4 and in verse 31, the Bible says this. Then he, Jesus, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Watch. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. when Matthew records this story he says they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority not like the teachers of the law something is being communicated here that I think is of significance and I'd ask you to open your heart today to receive this word from the Lord if you were to get pulled over on your way home from church today the red and blue flashing lights are not a suggestion They are a command, and the reason that that command carries weight is because of the authority it represents. You may not like it, you may not agree with it, you may not be happy about it, but if you get pulled over, you are no longer the master of your own domain, for in fact, the future of your insurance rates rests in the hands of that officer, so you better be nice. They have the authority to write you a ticket. They've got the authority to impound your vehicle. In fact, they've got the authority to ruin your day. Do you know that in Washington State, it's actually illegal for you to have red and blue flashing lights on your vehicle unless you are a member of the law enforcement community because it represents a position of authority that is dangerous unless you actually have it. When that officer walks to your window and shows you his badge and asks you for your license and your insurance and your registration, it isn't a suggestion. It's not an idea. It isn't a piece of advice. It's a command. Because that individual has been endued with authority by virtue of the law and they are acting as an ambassador of the state. Here's the problem. We've got pastors making suggestions. We've got Christians offering good advice. We've got leaders with life lessons. We've got believers who have become convinced that they've got a big devil and a small Jesus. And friend, at the end of time, we will see the one whose head has been crushed by Christ and wonder why we ever spent a day being scared of that pathetic worm. When your authority leaves, you cease to be a voice because you only have the capacity to be an echo. Friend, we are not echoes into Babylon. We are voices. We are not echoes of culture. We are voices into it. We are not echoes of media. We are not echoes of politics. We are voices into it. No friend, you have authority by virtue of what Christ has done on your behalf. You in fact have been endued with power from on high. You have an open heaven invitation to cooperate with God in the redemption of cities and regions if you would only learn to use what you already got. Watch what the scriptures communicate. Luke 10 and 19, behold I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Matthew 28 and 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Titus 2 and 15, these are the things that you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Mark 6 and 7, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. Matthew 10 and 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness see Matthew 10 was prior to the cross it was prior to the resurrection it was prior to the great commission if we had that type of authority prior to the cross how much more authority do we have today see this is important scripture isn't just inspired, it actually has the authority to direct our lives. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, there's a movement today to divorce scripture from its authority. Like, those are just the opinions of Paul, or these are just the reflections of John, or maybe these are just the ideas of Luke, but they don't really carry any weight to course correct my life. Really what people are saying is, I disagree with what the text communicates, so instead I will become the sovereign source of authority in my own life. Friend, I am not sharing my opinions on Sunday morning because pastoral opinions don't change history. I am simply here to tell you what the text says. In fact, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will receive the word of God. My mind is open. My heart is ready. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. You are what the book says you are. You have what the book says you have. you got the authority to pull down strongholds. you got the authority to heal the sick. You've got the authority to drive out demons. You've got the authority to live righteous. You've got the authority to produce wealth you've got the authority to raise a family in the northwest friend the enemy works overtime to convince you that you need to ask for the stuff god has already given the question is not do you have authority the question is are you exercising the authority you already got See, Fred, when we walk into Seattle, we are not walking in as beggars or as insecure Christians or as fearful believers. I am marching into that city like I own the place because in the spirit I do. I pulled up to the church the other day in the middle of the week and not a lot of folks were here. I had to run into the church to grab something real quick and... You know, when you're in a hurry, you're not really paying attention to whether or not you're parking within the lines. In fact, I parallel parked in front of the building and took up about three or four spots. There was nobody else here. There wasn't a worry. But somebody from the restaurant was parking at the same time, and they got out of the car, and they didn't appreciate my parking job. And they said, who do you think you are? You think you own the place? And I said, in fact, I do. I do (laughs) see the enemy tries to convince you that you don't own the places that God has given you as an inheritance you are not a renter in the Northwest you are an owner you are not a hireling in the house of God you are a shepherd and when we begin to act In accordance with the identity that God has already declared, it creates a courage and a boldness in our life to live out loud the mission that He's planted in our hearts. The Bible says this that the people were stunned that Jesus spoke with such authority. These people attended the synagogue every week, but it's when Jesus spoke they were stunned. See, I think these people got used to great speeches filled with empty words, void of any authority. The folks in the synagogue had gotten so used to a living text being communicated by a dead preacher that when Jesus showed up and quoted the prophet Isaiah, they were shook to the core. Here's what's interesting. You can use the same words. You can preach the same text. You can sing the same songs. But until you've got authority, it's empty words in the wind. The Lord's prayer is not, God, if you're not too busy, if my life isn't too difficult, then maybe your kingdom can show up and help me out. It is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, even as it's being done in heaven. When a person of authority communicates with authority, Authority It creates an opening for people to receive revelation. The greatest danger in the church today is not the secular culture. It's dead preachers preaching dead sermons to dead people. When you actually believe that what this Bible says is true, that what God has actually given me is mine to use, what it creates is a boldness behind your voice where you come out of perpetual victimhood and instead into perpetual victory because what God says about me is true. Let every other man be a liar. And greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world see authority has a bad rap because it's been so abused but see isn't that the enemy's tactic he takes what God gives us and distorts it so much that instead of redeeming it we run from it no authority is not I'm always right Authority is not, I'm always in charge. Authority is not, we've got to do it my way. Authority is the recognition of a God-given mandate to exercise influence in a particular sphere. I don't have special authority because I have a title. In fact, positional authority is the lowest form of leadership. But when you've got God's authority, you don't have to announce it. People just no you know before I went into full-time ministry I did about 10 years in public policy and politics and I worked on campaigns across the region across the state and even some across the nation but the way that I started out in politics was just as a neighborhood walker knocking on doors getting people registered to vote handing out political surveys and here's what I found The only thing more annoying on a Saturday morning than a Jehovah's Witness at your door is somebody to try to get you to answer questions on their political preference. It prepared me for ministry because I've already been cussed out. (laughs) It prepared me to keep on knocking because I've had more doors slammed in my face than I can count. But I'll never forget this one day when we were door knocking in Seattle and working on behalf of a candidate and I knocked on this guy's door Saturday morning about 10 a.m., and I assume I woke him up because he was in a disheveled state by the time he got to the front door and trying to ask him questions, trying to be as nice as possible, but he was just not having it, not having any of it. So I was getting prepared to leave to go ahead and go on to the next door, and I saw his dog behind him. It wasn't one of these cute dogs, little dogs that jumps on your lap. It was like a crossbreed between a dog and a horse. It was a big dog. And and a mean looking dog. And as I'm about to turn and walk to the next door, this dog comes bolting out of this house, chasing me, and I am running for my life. I throw my clipboard in the air. I tear off my vest. I throw it on the ground. I'm I'm trying to do everything that I know how to do to avoid being eaten alive here in this moment. And the owner is just standing on his porch, watching as I'm running laps around the cul-de-sac, screaming for my life. I'm using all the same words stop, heal, back up, no, down, bad. Every word that I can use and some I can't repeat in order to keep this dog from eating me for lunch. And it was so interesting because after about 60 seconds of this circus, the owner on the front porch just said one word. And the reason why this is significant is because the master had the authority to give a command that only that dog would obey. I said the same words, but I didn't have the same authority. I tried the same tactics, but I didn't have the same position. I tried all of the same verbiage, but I didn't have the same invitation or relationship. It didn't matter what I said because I didn't have the authority to change the circumstance. And when believers begin to understand the authority that they have from heaven, it gives them the courage to be a voice into their circumstance that changes things for the better. Friend, I am telling you, the master has given you his authority. That's why Jesus tells his disciples, the same way that I was sent, so I send you with the authority from heaven to make a difference on earth. Here's the thing with authority. You don't have it until you find yourself under it. See, that's why every believer needs a church to call home. Because the canopy of this house helps embolden the voice in your house. Now watch what verse 33 says. Now in the synagogue, watch, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Not in the street, not in the club, not in the White House, but instead there was a man in church who had an unclean demon. See, Jesus wasn't looking for trouble, but trouble found him. The fact that he operated in great authority naturally displaced other inferior principalities and powers in the room. There wasn't the ability to share the space with any other spirit. He has the highest name, he has the highest power, and that created a conflict for every lesser spiritual entity. Friend, I'm not a demon hunter. I don't believe that there are demons hiding under every rock. However, I am convinced that the unseen world is much more at work in our world today than we could ever imagine. How long had this demon afflicted this man in this synagogue week after week before someone with a greater authority showed up to displace its power? I wonder how many folks have sat afflicted in Sunday morning services all across this region, just waiting for somebody who actually believed that they've got the power to change a circumstance. We was praying for somebody at the altar the other day and going through a, a sickness, and they just really needed a supernatural touch of God, and they came up, and they were broken, and I was praying for them, but before I did, they told me the story. They said, Pastor, I've been to some other churches. I've come forward to receive prayer and all they do is tell me the three reasons why it's probably not gonna happen and by the time we ever get around to the prayer, my faith is so deflated. I don't know why healing doesn't always happen immediately when we pray for it, but I am convinced that my job is to pray and his job is to respond. And so even when I don't understand why somebody doesn't receive immediate healing or immediate deliverance or immediate salvation, that doesn't change what I have called to be obedient towards. And I'm just convinced that this man sat in this synagogue week after week and he heard the same teachers of the law quoting the same Torah, but when Jesus showed up, It created such a disturbance in the spiritual force that this man began to respond. See, I want this church to be a safe place for people who are afflicted to come into freedom. But we are not here to entertain demons. We are here to cast them out. You cannot belong to Christ and belong to the enemy at the same time. I believe Christians can be oppressed by demonic entities, but I do not believe Christians can be possessed by demonic entities. What are some examples of demonic oppression? Spirit of heaviness, spirit of infirmity, spirit of confusion. What does Christ offer as an alternative? Joy, healing, wisdom, knowledge, revelation. I want to be aware of the way the enemy works, but I want to be an expert on the way the father works because my focus is on him and what he says to be true about my surroundings it's interesting the word that's used by Luke to describe this man he says it's not just a regular demon it's an unclean demon see the word unclean in the Greek translates to this phrase wrong mixture it's the opposite of the word pure this man had a spirit with the wrong mixture that completely controlled him See, friend, when I use the word syncretism in this environment, I am referring to the amalgamation of multiple spiritual beliefs, religions, and practices in an attempt to gain salvation outside of Christ. It's the idea that if we just mix a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of New Ageism, a little bit of Universalism, a little bit of Eastern religion, a little bit of astrology, a little bit of my spirit animal and my spirit guides and my Mormon theology, then somehow I've covered all of my bases and I am certain more open-minded than those narrow Christian fundamentalists. When we were kids, we used to go to McDonald's and get a fountain drink and mix every fountain drink together. You know what we called it? A graveyard because that's exactly what you get when you mix everything. You end up with nothing. Dabbling in multiple religions doesn't make you tolerant. It doesn't make you enlightened. It doesn't make you intellectual. It baptizes you in the doctrine of demons. It makes your spirit of the wrong mixture. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. Now watch. Everybody's fine with Jesus until you say he's the only way. Oh, he's a great teacher and he's a great philosopher and he talked a lot about love and traveled around Jerusalem with Birkenstocks, drinking herbal tea, practicing crystal healing and everybody's okay with Jesus until you say, no, he is the way. When you make the declaration Peter made, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, flesh and blood do not reveal that to you, but my Father above. And upon that rock of revelation, I will build my church. Jesus is not one of many answers. He is not one of many gods. He is not one book on your ever-growing library shelf. He is the narrow door that all must pass through in order to have eternal life. And I think sometimes in an attempt maybe to be a little bit more seeker-sensitive, you've got leaders who are afraid to make those types of claims. And if we don't have the courage to say Jesus is the only way, then what are we even doing with our time? No, friend, Jesus is not a way. He is the way. See, verse 33 goes on to say, He cried out with a loud voice. Without fail, every time I've interacted with a demonic spirit, its primary job is to distract from the real work that's at hand. Jesus is teaching, the crowds are amazed, the word of God is going forth, and all of a sudden there is a man screaming at the top of his lungs. See, the enemy works overtime to get you distracted from the great work that is at hand. And if you choose to give your attention to every distraction, you will never reach the goal God has for you on this side of eternity. The distraction came from the seats in the synagogue, possibly the last place that you would ever expect it. But refusing to lose your stability and focus in the midst of distracting circumstances is maybe the greatest act of spiritual warfare that you will ever engage in. See, the enemy wants my mind so he can have my focus. He wants my focus so he can have my attention. He wants my attention so he can control my direction. He wants my direction so he can dictate my destiny. But, Fred, we have to refuse to be distracted by the loud voices and instead discipline ourselves to hear the still small voices and refuse the enemy an ability to gain a foothold in our life. See, the demon responds, let us alone. Let us alone. I want you to see what these demons were so upset about. Jesus reads two verses from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of God's favor. But see, these verses carried the weight of a man who intended to fulfill them. And when Jesus uttered this phrase, it sent shockwaves into the congregation and the demonized could not hold back. Watch, friend. When you make a good confession of faith, when you get baptized, when you serve, when you give, when you worship, when you shout amen, when you pray with passion and intention, it serves notice on hell. We are here to proclaim good news. We are here to give freedom. We are here to set the oppressed free and proclaim that this year belongs to him. These are not empty words. These are spiritual declarations that cause all of hell to shake. And we will not stop declaring until ancient doors and ancient gates swing open. See, that's why your worship is so important. Because you are singing the scriptures. You are singing the character of God. You are singing the Father heart of God. You are releasing a declaration into the atmosphere that the Bible says will not return void. Well, I already sung this song at church. I'm sure you did. But the unseen atmosphere needs to hear you sing it again. Well, I've already heard this sermon. I'm sure you have. But the unseen atmosphere needs you to hear it again. Part of the great spiritual discipline that God develops in and through us through the ongoing work of sanctification is the art of repetition. You know, in heaven, they're basically singing two songs all day. It's not tens of thousands of songs. It's a couple words repeated day and night. There's an unseen spiritual realm that reacts when the church gathers in faith to make a declaration. That's why I'm convinced all of hell wages war against Christian community. That's why I was convinced during the shutdown, when the world was going crazy, cities are turning upside down, and the churches are closed, that there was never a more important time for the church to remain open. Because when believers gather with the intention of glorifying Jesus, it sends shockwaves into the region. Now watch. The demons were afraid that Jesus was there to destroy them. Which we know will happen in an ultimate sense at the end of time. But it tells me this. The enemy's camp is operating on borrowed time. And every single demon in hell is aware of it. They can tell they are losing their grip. They can tell that they are losing their authority. They can tell that chains are starting to break. And it makes them nervous when a church refuses to stay quiet. Now watch. Verse 35, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him, and it did not hurt him. They was all amazed, and they spoke amongst themselves, saying, What a word this is! For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. What a word this is! Let me remind you, the sermon of Jesus consisted of quoting two verses from Isaiah and then sitting down. Jesus wasn't finishing an 18-part series. He didn't have a really cool sermon illustration. He hadn't just released a best-selling book. He literally quoted two verses and sat down, and the response of the crowd is, what a word. See, authority is not the result of a two-hour sermon. Authority is not the result of a compelling illustration. Authority is the result of having the text go through you before it comes from you. In such a way that when people hear it, it elicits faith in their hearts, revelation in their minds, and transformation in their lives. What a word this is. What a church this is. What a team of people this is. What a group of volunteers this is. When they pray, when they work, when they serve, it is with such authority and power that the results speak for themselves. In verse 38 it says this, Now he arose from a synagogue and he entered Simon Peter's house. But Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her, so he stood over her. He rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. In fact, many theologians believe that the reason why Peter denied Christ three times is because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Now watch. That was funny, and you know it, because some of you got mother-in-laws, and so anyway. <laughs> now watch, Jesus has authority in the intellectual realm to teach, Jesus has authority in the spiritual realm to cast out demons, and Jesus has authority in the physical realm to heal. Luke 4 is all about demonstrating that Jesus has the authority over every realm because he has the highest name therefore there is nothing for us to fear in any circumstance we face no sickness is worth rebuking because anything that doesn't originate from god is not ours to carry no sickness doesn't belong to you it's not your identity it's not your inheritance it's not your destiny faith rebukes what doesn't belong to help uncover what always has see because you belong to christ healing belongs to you Because you belong to Christ, wholeness belongs to you. Because you belong to Christ, resources belong to you. It didn't belong in the house. It didn't belong to Peter's mother-in-law. And when Jesus rebuked it, it had to leave. Now watch how it ends. Verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. See, we're going to rally tonight in Seattle at a facility that overlooks the water. We're going to see the sun set behind us as we worship and declare over the Northwest. And I'm believing for a fresh authority to come upon this community for signs, wonders, miracles, and kingdom advancement. Friend, the lost are not convinced by better arguments. The world is crying out for a demonstration of God's sovereign power. It is what you carry, and it is what we owe this region. It's what we owe the Northwest. We owe them an encounter with the Jesus that is recorded in the pages of this book. Not an emaciated God who is frail and weak. Not a Jesus who is disinterested in cities or nations. No, we owe this region an encounter with the living God who still answers by fire. I am unashamed to still believe in the power of the gospel. I am unashamed to believe in the authority that God gives his church that function as keys to unlock the kingdom. I am unashamed to call you to a higher standard so that you don't live below the level of your invitation. I don't need to pray for more authority. I need to pray to act out on the authority that he has already given me. What he has given us is enough to see this region transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friend, we hold this treasure in earthen vessels, and the cities are crying out for the God of Elijah to respond with fire. Come on, would you stand with me as we close? Let me pray for you this morning. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask for your ever-present help in our time of need. God, that you would encourage our souls, that you would illuminate our minds, that you would strengthen our resolve. God, I pray over every man and woman in this building under the sound of my voice for every family watching on our live stream campus from around the nation that God today you would strengthen them in such a way that they would walk with boldness and courage declaring everywhere the sole of my foot treads God has given me the land I pray that this would be a year of your mind being open that you would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ that you would labor in the grace that he has given you that you would see doors open destinies unlocked healing come resources flow as you begin to realize when his words are in my mouth it's got creative power to change my circumstance so I declare over you today friend that God has already equipped you with everything you need pertaining to life and godliness and you will not be an echo instead you will be a voice father we thank you that you are at work We say, do your best work in us, and we'll give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said amen. 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 Friend, if you're here today and you'd like prayer before you leave, we got these altar team members here at the altar. They'd love to add their faith to yours to see God do a miracle in your life. If not, God bless. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to be in Seattle tonight, 6 p.m., and then next week, our brand-new service time starts. Come on, invite a friend. Let's help build the house of God together. We'll see you real soon.